Hello, and welcome to the Financial Emancipation Podcast. I'm your host, Malik Branch, and this is a podcast discussing the ways in which you can walk towards your financial emancipation, getting free from the burden of your finances. Welcome back. Welcome back. So this episode is going to be almost like an interim in between of our normal episodes. I know in the last episode, um, I talked about what our next episode was going to be about, which is... um, me discussing some of my own personal financial goals and outlining some of how I plan to get there. Some full disclosure for you guys about some of the things I'm looking to do, some of the things I'm looking to tackle with my finances. And that will be the episode after this one. This episode is kind of like I said, in the, in the middle episode, but necessary. And I'm starting to do that when I have content I want to share, um, deciding to record the episode um, and, and go ahead and share that content at that time. Um, this, this podcast episode will be accompanied with a, um, IGTV video that I'm going to do about the same topic. So after you finish listening here, you can head over to Instagram, um, or to YouTube and, and catch the video that I'm going to do to kind of go along with this, this topic, you know, certain things, um, as a, as a woman, as a person, as a financial emancipator, I'm very sensitive to. And this is one of them, um, this topic specifically, um, because I think that there are too many times when we get into relationship with people and we decide that all bets are off as far as the rules. And we think that that's a demonstration of love and commitment. And, you know, the instance in the situation that I'm going to discuss with you today is one of those ways in which you show that compromising your financial integrity as a demonstration of love to someone else will always um, land you in a financial disaster. One for which you will be forced to climb your way out of usually not with the person who helped get you there. So I was scrolling through people.com. Don't judge me. I, I tend to head there sometimes because I like to see foolishness and um, it helps to break up the day of of talking about and dealing with very serious things. So um, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I'm nosy. It's one of my character flaws. I, I figured that out. And so sometimes I can find myself lost in to minding celebrity business on the internet, which is why I was on people.com. I go there ever so often. So I was there and there was a story there about a woman. And the title of the story was that the woman had incurred over $80,000 in debt from, from her boyfriend because of her boyfriend of eight years. And when they broke up, he kind of left her with the debt. And lucky for her, she was able to connect with Susie Orman, who um, through her books and teaching, she was able to get down and pay that debt down within about um, three years after having um, had having having after having left a relationship. So if you want, if you're interested in the article, it's on people.com. The um, the article's uh, headline is boyfriend left woman with eighty eight thousand dollars in debt. Here's how Susie Orman helped her out of it. Now, again. It wasn't Susie Orman necessarily personally who helped her out. It was really she utilized Susie Orman's um, Susie Orman's books and Susie Orman's teachings to help get her out of it. I think she was able to eventually link up with Susie Orman um, to, for a conversation, but it was really she relied upon the books and things of and teachings of Susie Orman to help get her out of this debt. Now, for as soon as I read that headline, I was like blown away, right? You know, boyfriend left a woman with $88,000 in debt. The first part of this is boyfriend, right? Her boyfriend. I continued to read the article because I didn't want to just judge, but they were together for eight years. Okay. 
So at the time when the, this article is being written, she's 41. So three years before this was when she um, had ended this relationship and began tackling his debt. So she was in her late 30s when she ended an eight-year relationship, which she had gotten into when she was about 30. So you give some some room for the fact that um, she wasn't young, but she wasn't, maybe she was you know, still kind of growing into who she was in her early 30s. So I see this and I share this as a cautionary tale to any person, not just women, any person who is in a romantic relationship. I constantly see people making very serious financial decisions with people who are they are not bound to legally. Now, this is not a judgment or a statement about the validity or the value of marriage. Um, from my personal opinion, as far as what who says what. What I'm saying is that marriage is a legal construct for which the two of you are both legally bound to each other, legally responsible for one another. In the events of death, you, the other person, is legally your heir. They legally can inherit what you have. Um, and if you would like to sever a relationship with a, a marriage, if you want to sever that relationship, there are legal there are legal avenues that you must travel through, and there are laws about what a person who is separating from you can and cannot do what they must take and what they can't take, how you guys end up sharing both profits and debt that came from the marriage. If this woman who had incurred $88,000 in debt had been married to this man, then it wouldn't have been her debt. It would have been their debt and how she would have been able to sever that relationship legally and then sever and, and separate and split that debt would have been different if she had been married to this man. Now, just to give you a little background, I'm not going to read the whole article to you, but to give you just a little bit of background of how she incurred $88,000 in debt from this relationship, she highlights that she met her boyfriend in 2003. She was not a person who spent a lot of money. She was a saver, um, but she wanted to be helpful to him. He was a person who struggled with continu continuously keeping employment. That's a red flag. Anybody who struggles to keep employment for whatever the reason is, when you partner with that person, you either accept that you're going to be the person responsible for for all of the expenses in a relationship and you understand that this person could lead you down a path financially that could alter and change things for you. You can still choose to be in relationship with them, but you have to understand what that is. A person who struggles to keep employment, is that's a big red flag financially. That might not be a red flag for you emotionally. You may still love that person and want to be in a relationship with them. But what, what this conversation is about is how that is a red flag financially. Um, particularly as the story continues, he was someone who wanted to spend. So he wasn't just a person who couldn't keep a job. He was a person who also wanted to spend. She, she explains that she was in the relationship with him. Um, he would... He had a lot of um, issues, again, with money. He was horrible at money, as she described. And everything was under her name because he had such bad credit. Red flag number two, getting into a relationship with a person. Again, this is why the fundamentals of financial freedom are about speaking up and having a, a open conversations about money early on in relationship, any kind of relationship, but definitely in a romantic relationship. If you meet someone and they have bad credit, it's a red flag. I'm not saying that it's a stop sign. I'm saying it's a red flag. If you meet someone and they have bad credit and they're an adult, right? You have to understand that at some point they made really bad financial decisions. That's what bad credit is a reflection of, right? 
it can be they could have had reasons for why they made the bad decisions well i'm not here to kind of put the judgment on that i'm saying that's a red flag so what you should do with that information first of all you should get the information right there are people who don't find out that their partners have bad credit until they're about to move in together that is too long because we're not having open and honest conversations and dialogue with each other about finances right so I'm meeting you and I'm dating you. I'm not saying that on the first date we should be putting out credit scores, salaries, and all those things. That's too much information when you first meet somebody. But by the time you're talking to someone, maybe third or fourth date, you guys are hanging out, you're spending time together. And again, I always say this, people seem to have no issue discussing very intimate things about themselves sexually, sometimes about their family history. But when it comes down to talking about money, everybody's mom's the word. It makes no sense to me. Mainly because just as important in a relationship as compatibility in personality, compatibility sexually, financial compatibility is important. Because again, you could get into a relationship with someone who you may love and you find out that they're very bad with money and they have very bad credit. And that's going to have an issue for you guys as you move forward in your relationship. So it's very important to talk about these things. So she got into a relationship with him, found out that he had bad credit. And was horrible with money. And what she did with that was attempt, like people sometimes do, to not hold them back as a couple in ways in which his bad credit, his inability to keep a job, and his desire to spend money would have kept them, held them back. She decided to step in. Co-signing, she, what she did was she co-signed credit cards for him because he had such bad credit. He was getting really high interest rates on credit cards and he could not get them on his own that again these are red flags i mean the flags was a flying they were hitting her in her face and she was still like nope i still want to do this if a person has such bad credit that they cannot get a credit card without a, without a cosigner do not put your name on that credit is not a requirement we do not have to live with credit but the reason that he needed to live with credit was because he could not keep a job to, to continuously have income so of course he was going to need to live off of credit but for everyone listening here, when you meet a person and they have such bad credit that they need a co-signer, don't be the co-signer. I know that sounds harsh, but you should not put your name to someone whose credit is so bad that they themselves cannot get credit on their own. You know what that says? That said that this person had an opportunity to receive credit from someone. It would just be like, it would be just like if someone borrowed money. If you had heard that everybody this person borrowed money from, they put, they said they was going to pay it back and they never paid it back. And then they come to you like, can I borrow some money? And you'd be like, sure. Expecting the money to be paid back. You give them your right money. Why? Why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. So the same thing comes up when a person is has an established pattern of bad credit so bad because credit... You can have a low credit score, but when you got bad credit so much so that people are like, I don't even want to give you a credit card unless I give you a 30% interest rate. That's not somebody who one needs a credit card Two, somebody whose name you should put your name on. That doesn't matter how much you love them. And the issue is that when it's, we, we take things that are so practical, like finances, credit, you know, debt, and we insert them into relationships for which people seem to lose their ability to be practical. Right. So if I said this person is a thief, everywhere they go, they steal. Would you and would you go to that per go with that person, leave your purse out, open it up, show the money and walk away? No, you wouldn't. You would 
keep you would at a minimum always have your purse with them if you chose to hang out with them at all. And so in relationship, you get with a person, you don't talk about money early on, you don't find out this person has bad credit until you're in love with them. And now you have to decide how to move forward. That can still be an opportunity to move forward differently than just head over heels. Let's just do whatever this person wants. Because you could be in a relationship with the person for months. You go to find out something happens. You find out the person has bad credit. You can take that to say, hey, let's focus on rebuilding your credit. Let's focus on getting your credit right. That's just that. That is more loving than enabling a person by giving them an access to more credit, meaning your credit. You know, a broken heart is something that you can that can be mended. It's far much more difficult to fix bad credit. That sounds harsh. I know people who are listening to this like Malik. Really? Yes. <laughs> you can find a way to mend your broken heart. You can go to therapy. You can do a lot of things. But when it comes down to $88,000 in debt and bad credit, you are going to struggle for far longer. She broke up with this man. It took her three years, three and a half years of some very, very extensive and what I would consider to be dramatic ways that she was able to do what she did to get out of the debt, which most people would not be able to do. I'm going to cover that in a second. Three years it took her. That relationship was over for three years years and she was still trying to climb her way out of the debt i'm sure by the year three she was not still heartbroken she probably was find herself a new man and everything in three years but what she couldn't get rid of was the debt that she had incurred because of this man so it's like yes that's why i say a broken heart can be mended this 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 financial debt that she was put into with her now credit being dragged through the mud, overwhelmed by interest payments, all these things. That took her three years and some very, very dramatic circumstances to get out of. And the relationship was long gone. So instead of having been in a relationship with him for eight years, she was truly committed to him for 11 years of her life because she spent three years after the relationship trying to get out of the debt and, and clear herself of what they had put onto the table together. So... Again, I know it sounds harsh, but when you are with a person who has bad credit, I am not saying that that is a sign that the person is a bad person. Not at all. I'm not saying that people who have bad credit should not be loved or in relationship with or whatever. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is that when it comes to your finances, you must protect yourself financially and Find ways in which when you're going to extend yourself financially, there has to be some way that you are protected. I.e., if we are in a marriage and I, you and I are going to go into debt, you know, go into debt together, that is something that we did together. And, so, and therefore, if and if there's a need for us to separate, we can find our way through this through the courts and the legal system. Doesn't always work out well. I have a few friends who are divorced. And know people who've been through divorces who find that even after the divorce, they were the ones stuck with the debt. It can happen. Especially if you have no way to prove that the debt is a cold debt because that person's name wasn't on it. The other part about everything is people are very quick to say, just my name. No, put both people's name on these things. Because at least when there's, you know, it sounds cute to be in my name only until it's a debt. Like when it's, when it seems like it's something valuable, it's my name only. But when it becomes a problem, you wish that other person's name was on it. So the idea is that if you're going to extend yourself in a relationship, 
there should at least be an equal level of risk that you and the person are taking when it comes to your finances. Again, if you show upon a person who is already in bad, has such bad credit before you meet them so much so that they cannot get credit on their own, that should be a sign for you that you should never extend yourself more than what you can afford to handle. You should say, if the person is asking you to co-sign for them, the answer should be no. If you want to share the car that you bought, the one car with that person, let them drive it, that's fair. But going to co-sign a car loan for a person who has inconsistent work history and already has bad credit is stupid. Ill-advised. Bad idea. Wrong thing to do. Love and emotions should not blind you from practicality. Does not make sense. Again, I go back to the same example. You would not leave your purse in front of a person open with the with the money exposed from someone who has continuously told you that everyone knows this person steals. You wouldn't do it. Even if you love that person, if that person was your mama, I have heard people be like, Mm-mm, don't leave nothing around so-and-so because they steal. Everybody know. That doesn't mean you don't love the person you want to be around them, but you're not going to let them steal from you. Or at least you do, you're going to make it harder for them, right? Like if you're going to steal from me, you're going to have to come over here and knock me over my head, take my purse. You know, you're not going to make it so easy. So in relationship, again, if we're speak, if we're using the financial emancipation tools and we're speaking about finances early, you will learn early on in a relationship, a person's money history, what their money story is, how they relate to money, what emotional triggers they have as it relates to money, why they how much debt they have why they're in debt how much money do they make and if you're watching them and they're on a financial journey to clearing that up or they're on a financial journey to continuing to to pour themselves into more debt a big thing that happens in relationship too and this is something that happens a lot more for men as they're trying to get into long-term relationships with women they are willing to put themselves in bad financial positions in order to impress women and on the flip side, women are willing to accept a person putting themselves in a bad financial situation to impress them or to make them feel good. And so that is something that we all have to pull ourselves back from. It's like, you know, this guy, you know, he makes about, you know, you know where he works. I wouldn't say, you know, how much money he makes. You know, he works for, let's say UPS. You have an idea of how much money he makes. You see that he has two kids and child support. You see that he has you know, a car and he has a luxury car. You see all these things and you kind of put in two and two together and you're thinking, how does he have money for all this? Your birthday comes around, he buys you a Gucci bag that's almost $2,000 and he takes you on a trip to the Bahamas for the weekend. And because those are things you want, you never think to question it. You don't ask about it. You just let it go because you're figuring he must have it. Little do you know, he just ran up $6,000 in credit card debt trying to do all this. And at some point, your next year, by the time your birthday come next year, he may not be able to do that because he has so much debt. And now he's going to feel, he may possibly feel like you're responsible for that because he did it for you. So don't, you know, we, we have to be mindful of that when we're accepting things from people, when we're giving things to people on both ends, trying to impress people with things that we can't afford. And that's because we're not having honest conversations about money early on in relationships. And too many of us are out here expecting people to do things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. How dare you ask someone to extend themselves in a credit situation when you your credit is so bad that nobody won't even give you any credit. You have a lot of nerve. 
you are out of pocket. You need to check yourself. Because if you can't go into the car dealership and get your own car loan, how dare you have the nerve to go to someone else who loves you and emotionally manipulate them to make them feel like they should do this thing for you that you can't do for yourself. That is not fair. It's not fair to do to a parent, an auntie, a cousin, a sibling, grandma, or the person you're in a relationship with. It's not fair. And money manipulation is a real thing that happens in love and in relationship with people because they choose, they make you, they, they, they tap into your emotions to get you to make a decision that is nothing but logical. It's nothing but math. It's not, nothing but one plus one. And they know if you do the one plus one, you're going to see the math don't need, don't add up. So they use a, a, a manipulation to do that. It's not right. So back to this woman and how she paid off this debt in three years. She is a woman of privilege. She doesn't admit that in the article. I read it in the article. I see it. The fact that she was able to get to have a conversation with Susie Orman, let me know that. She's an actress. The fact that her stories and people let me know. She's a woman of privilege. She has access and things of that nature. She wanted to be an actress. Da, da, da. She's a voiceover. So she is a woman of privilege. So the way in which she went about eliminating this three this debt in three years was that she quit her. She 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 went she took a job where she traveled for work. 90% of the time which made her which gave her opportunity to give up her apartment in LA and save on paying rent um she stayed in hotels she lived in hotels because for work she was able to live in hotels and then she would accrue a bunch of hotel points and she would use that so she could travel the world something she hadn't been able to do when she was in relationship with her boyfriend she even let the let her passport expire and so she was back to doing the things that she loved this is privilege right we are talking about someone who incurred eighty thousand dollars worth of debt and and didn't have her own access to things and and of that nature so her story um what I felt the way the story was being promoted what they what they glossed over was the three-year period that it took for her to get rid of the debt was because she was able to do these things that most people don't have the privilege to do like I said she's able to quit her quit I'm sorry relinquish her apartment and kind of live a nomad life living in hotels and kind of here there everywhere that's not something you can do if you have children that's not something you can do if your job you can't find work in a situation where you could travel for work so it's not a practical thing that's not most people's experience when they can just get up and decide i'm gonna let go of my apartment and hop around the world or hop around the country on a traveling job just so i don't have to pay rent so i can pay down debt that's not realistic and so as an article itself and a solution to a problem, I thought that that was not, that was one that kind of made it sound very much something you would write for people and not something that you would write to discuss a real true story about how to get out of intense debt. You know, I, I want to hear from people who really struggle to get out of debt and $88,000 worth of debt that doesn't include student loans or a house is a lot of debt to get out of. You know, she was able to get payment plans from, some of the creditors one of the creditor was even nice enough to her to close the account so it could stop accruing interest this all sounds lovely you know and they're not things that can't be done by everyone it's just that eighty-eight thousand dollars is a lot of debt to have on you and to be able to pay that off in three years does require a lot of intensity and so for the average person it would have taken way more than three years to pay down eighty-eight thousand dollars worth of debt especially if you were someone who had to keep living your life meaning rent and 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 if you had a car car payment and all these things that you may need to be necessary for your life and so what took her three years to get rid of um something that was carrying over from a relationship it could take a, another person five or six years or a person could still could kind of be 
in a perpetual state of trying to rebuild their life after allowing a person they were in relationship with to ruin their self, ruin them financially. How shitty is it, right? To be, to end a relationship, have your heart broken, be sad about it, right? Need to rebuild all the things after an eight year relationship for which things are kind of, so, you know, when you're in a relationship with someone and things go bad, a lot of things are dented. Your self-esteem is dented, your, your self-worth. And that doesn't mean that's not that's not when relationships go terribly sour. It's just after you've been in relationship with someone who you loved and things didn't work out, you have a lot of doubts in your mind. You start to wonder what it is about you. What did you start to do that? Whether it's uh, was it you know it didn't have to be an abusive or type of relationship. You just do that, right? So you have to rebuild all that stuff after a relationship. Figure out where you went wrong. What did you do wrong? What did they do wrong? What did you accept? What should you have not done? Imagine doing that on top of the fact of trying to rebuild. Your finances after being saddled with $90,000 worth of debt that you did not incur on your own. And the other person, as the part as the story continues to go, he suggested to her when they broke up, hey, you should just file bankruptcy. And when she didn't want to do that, he was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. He walked away scot-free, debt-free, nothing on him. And I bet you in that three years, he could have either met someone else who helped rebuild his credit. He could have gotten a job. He could have done anything. Or he could still be sitting there in a new relationship, getting that person to incur debt. Any of those things are possible. But what he did not do was walk away from a relationship, $88,000 in debt. He left that for someone else. You know, I say this all the time. I've repeated it over and over again. It is why I am a big supporter of prenuptial agreements in marriages. Um, I'm a big proponent of you have to talk about this stuff before. Well, like When you're getting into a serious relationship, you have to discuss this stuff early. It's because I say this, when you are in love, you think you would never, like all of the things about money, you think you would never treat a person this way. You would always be good to them because you love them. That's the perfect time to set in stone what you mean and what you want for each other financially if the relationship ends. Because when the relationship is ending, all bets are off. People turn into the worst versions of themselves. And what they're willing to do to you at that point it's nothing like what they would have been willing to do to you when they were in love. That is why a prenuptial agreement is so good. It is a benefit to both parties because it is bought and made out of love. And it's saying, if in fact we are ever not in love, I'd like us to be able to revert back to when we were in love and what we thought about each other financially when we were in love. I do not want to wait until we are no longer in love to discuss these things because you I cannot believe I cannot think that you or myself would be fair I can't think that we because if you have a broken heart and hurt feelings you may not be fair and depending on the reason why we're breaking up you really may not be fair let's just keep it a buck right you may find someone is once you and someone may need to separate for something very bad like that person might do something to you that you can never forgive them for and now we got to discuss how to split up our money no, I'm going to take you to the cleaners. Or I'm going to do something vicious. Or I'm going to be harsh because I'm upset and I'm angry and I'm hurt. But if there's something to rely upon that we started out when we were in love, that is why I believe in prenuptial agreements. It's also why it's important, in my opinion, to not get into very serious financial, um, financial relationships with a person who you're not married to. I know I see people, they buy homes with people. I, I don't understand it. Why would I buy a home with you in a relationship and we're not married? What happens when, if that relationship ends? You know, um, 
when people do seriously let's get credit together let's do all these things that we're not married i don't i don't know why we would do that for each other you know again if you if you get if you push me on this conversation you'll find that i like to keep finances um i like to see there would be separate finances a lot even in marriages separate separate conversation um but definitely there's a place where we can blend and a place where we can keep things separate but um we're not married legally i think it's very um risky <laughs> to put yourselves in these situations and you can end up like this woman with eighty-eight thousand dollars worth of debt a broken heart and working to spend years trying to climb out of a very heavy debt situation for which you yourself didn't even incur on your own you picked up someone else's debt. She co-signed a car for him. She put credit cards in her name for him. She paid for $10,000 worth of um, experimental um, testing and surgery for his, his dog who was sick. And the dog didn't even make it. Yeah, too much. But things that she had to carry then for three years after. And in her situation, it was three years. In any other situation, it could be far longer than that. So we have to see the red flags, make better decisions about this and stop being afraid to talk about this stuff and stop thinking that even on both ends, stop thinking it's unloving when a person doesn't want to share finances with you. That's not unloving because you say, oh, if you're, if, you're, if you're with me and you love me, we'll share everything. Can we admit as a group here that love, feelings and all those things are things that are fleeting and can be temporary? But guess what's not? When you owe the IRS, they come in. They don't care about your love and your relationship. The debt that you owe, those people are coming for you. Okay, your credit score is far, will linger on you and haunt you far far longer than a relationship that is gone after three years. I know we don't want to be practical about these things. I know we want to just believe in the power of love. And that is cute for a lot of other things. Believe in that as for things that have to do with making loving relationship decisions. But when it comes to your finances and how you put yourself at risk for another person, um, you need to be as clear headed as you can possibly be and know that you have to protect yourself financially in any relationship, no matter how good and how much you're in love, protect yourself financially. If that means keeping your finances separate while you're in relationship if you don't plan to get married and if that means that you should um when you're getting married you should consider a prenup do it and if anybody is offended when a person asks for a prenup i don't understand that a prenup is a multi uh, is a duly beneficial document that can benefit both people why not and also, too, there doesn't seem like as I'm watching it again, I've never been married. I'm a child of divorce, but I've never been through a divorce myself. But I know a few people who have. It doesn't look like there's anything more gut wrenching than, than divorce, it's except for the fact of someone dying. And that even seems simpler than getting a divorce. But to, to, to have that situation be eased by a document that we can all rely upon and move forward seems to be the best way to have to navigate something that seem, already seems very, very difficult and challenging. And I know people say, I don't want to think about the, the the end of my relationship in the beginning. I don't want to think about my marriage ending in the beginning. You get life insurance, which is a which is the thought of your life ending. You you do the, that kind of stuff. What this is the difference? All it says is I want to be prepared in the event this thing happens. Death is absolute and certain. You're going to die. It's not certain that you're going to get divorced. And this document may never need to be used. But if it does come to that, and in, in most cases, um, you know, divorce is more common than it's not. It's not as if marriage, divorce is some uncommon thing. Like, oh my God, it never happens. It happens. 
and it happens often. So why are we acting as if it doesn't? Again, I have a practical mind and I don't want you to think this is just for the podcast. Anybody who knows me personally knows that's just how I think because I think it's important for me and the way my mind thinks is very linear the way I think it, it's not it would not behoove me to, to not think of what could potentially happen. So if you have a chance, hit up that people article, read it. Um, again, I have my thoughts about the way in which this one this woman was able to climb herself out of this debt. As far as practicality, what took her three years could have taken another person five or six. And consider, you know, I want to hear your feedback on this. I know people have different um, ideas about this and I really want to hear about it. I want to hear what you think when it comes to how you should, you know, be committed in love and in relationship. And should you know, I'm sure there's someone out there with the idea that you should go, you know, full scale with a person you're in love with nothing should be off limits when you're in love or when you're married or when you're in a serious relationship with a person nothing should be off limits and I'd love to hear that perspective so let's talk about it um follow me on Instagram financial emancipation send me a dm um you'll see the IGTV will be up soon comment on it share let me know what you think um if you have any further discussion you want to have send me an email malik m-a-l-i-e-k at the financial emancipation.com I look forward to hearing your feedback and our next episode and one after this is when I'll get into the um, my financial plan for 2020, um, give you some insight into what I'm trying to do for myself, some transparency about some financial goals that I have and a few hiccups that I've had financially that I want to share with you guys. So thank you so much for listening today. It's been a little bit of a long episode, but you know, these ones, they get me. I get a little passionate when talking about protecting yourself in relationship when it comes to your finances. So it's a little long, but it was worth it. Thanks so much for listening today. And I hope you'll be back as we continue to discuss the ways in which you can walk towards your financial emancipation, getting free from the burden of your finances. Have a great day.